It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Remote Controlled, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On today's episode, we're talking with Lena Waithe, who created the new Showtime drama, The Shy. Stay tuned. Hey, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, and it's my pleasure to welcome Lena Waithe. Hi. So good to see you again. Good to see you, too. Congratulations on everything. Thank you so much. It's an exciting time. So we're having this conversation the day before the premiere of the show, but how are you feeling? I'm feeling good, and I think I got a little bit of insurance because Showtime was very smart about making the first episode available to people on Showtime Anytime and on YouTube. So I've kind of gotten a little a wave of love, really, and positivity about the pilot. So that's why I'm, like, less nervous about tomorrow. My only thing, and I'm going to do a little video on my Instagram tomorrow morning before hair and makeup people get there, just to tell people, like, please watch again on, you know, on, on the actual date and time time uh just because it would mean a lot you know for the numbers and you know to me and you know i want us to really make a big splash so uh that'll be the plea just for them to know because some people have been i mean people have tweeted at me and messaged me saying they've watched the pilot like three or four times mm-hmm. which is it definitely amazing. merits a second viewing i mean i mean yeah I, but i'm just still very flattered and blown away by that and um and it just means a lot. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful folks will watch it again or at least have it on in the background. I know you've seen it already. Um, you know, some people will turn after the Globes or, but also Showtime is being really cool and they're going to have a, um, an encore airing like right after. So if you are not in Los Angeles and you're, you want to watch the Globes till the end, which I totally understand because that's when the big, uh, you know, awards are given out. When you turn to Showtime, it'll be on. So I'm really grateful that Showtime is making it, you know, easy for folks to see it and still get their like awards you know uh awards fix as well absolutely well it's gonna be a big night for you Mm -hmm. um why don't you even you know for people who don't know why don't you explain Mm -hmm. the premise of the show and how you got into it well yeah um the premise of the show was really it's a multi-protagonist you know story that follows five african-american men with a variation of ages um really trying to not i don't want to say survive the south side of chicago but you know to live a happy and full life on the south side of Chicago. That's what it really is. And they all have different ways of going about that. And they all have different things that they want and different things that, you know, and different struggles that they're trying to, to get over. And so you're just sort of seeing, you know, different facets of their lives. And I, I really just kind of want to show a real sense of humanity through just doing that. And I wrote it because, well, I'm from Chicago. And uh, a couple of years back, there was a lot of news stories coming out of the city 
which were really affecting me because my family still lives there. I still go there often just to visit them. Um, and I just kind of felt like people that were writing about the city had never really lived there. And and there were shows about the city but or movies about the city from people that were not from the city. And I think I also was reading a lot of Langston Hughes, a lot of James Baldwin at the time, just looking for inspiration just in general. And it was a combination of those things kind of really made me go, okay, well, I want to try to write something about it. And I knew it should be a drama. And it was my first time taking a swing at that um, because I'd only written half hours up to that point. And, uh, and so I just did a lot of character work and a lot of outlining. And, and I kind of found it. And I, and I really even started with names. I really pulled from like my, my mom's name, my uncle's name, the kids that I grew up with in the neighborhood, their names. Um, and then obviously I wanted to put Emmett Till's name in it for obvious reasons. And, um, and it just sort of started to pour out of me. And, um, and, Ju- and Justin Simeon was the first person to read the first draft. And I'll never forget it. He, he rather than call me, he sent me a video message <laughs> saying, what did it, say? it said like, this is the best thing you've ever written. Wow. And he was like, um, cause obviously he reads everything I write and he's like, this is the best thing you've ever written. And, uh, he was like, you should like make this uh, immediately and go out with it. And, um, and it was really that vote of confidence that made me say, okay, all right, well then I'm going to really go for it because not that I didn't love it. I'd written it and really liked it, but I just, I knew it wasn't commercial. I wasn't thinking, you know, oh, I'm going to go make this show. It was just going to be a, it was going to be a piece that I had written that was going to be in my, you know, in my, um, in my sort of, uh, in my, my, my stack of scripts that people could show. Um, but Justin was like, no, it's more than that. He's like, I think you should get it out there. So I'm glad he said that to me because he would, I admire him a ton and obviously his work is phenomenal. And for him to say that, it meant a lot. And that's the big reason what really pushed me to send it out to the world. What were the particular challenges for you in doing a drama versus a comedy? Um, I think really outlining the story. That's the biggest thing. It's like because you have a little bit more real estate and and you kind of really have to keep the momentum going. I think that was the big thing for me was the outlining part. That's what took me the longest was outlining. And my whole apartment looked like True Detective. Like I was <laughs> like, because also in terms of how and when I wanted characters to bump into each other, um, was very, I was very particular about that um, and how and when I wanted a thing to happen. I was to be very specific about that. Uh, and a lot happens in the pilot. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm very aware of that. But a big thing for me was like balancing it out and also maintaining the tone because I can't stop myself from being a comedy writer. There are moments of like levity that mm-hmm. all throughout. But I try to also try to keep a real sense of tone as well. That's a big thing for me. It's like I'm going to have some light moments. I'm going to have some dark moments. And I hope folks are cool to roll with that. But I think it's pretty smooth. You know, we try not to have it be too jarring. We try to give people a bit of a breath, you know, as, as some of these heavy things are happening. But that but was I think the that's real life. Thing. Like yeah. real life has humor in it. And I think if you Absolutely. didn't have that, it wouldn't feel honest. Absolutely. And I think that's something. I, and I even try to do that in in my comedy writing. Obviously, with look at the Thanksgiving episode. There are very like you know serious moments in that episode. Uh, but Aziz and I never forgot. Like, look, this is a half hour. This is a comedy, and we want to keep people laughing and entertained. But I think I've kind of found that they both kind of interject and they intertwine a ton um, when I'm writing. So that was the toughest thing, was just trying to figure out, okay, I've got 30 more pages now. Like, what now what happens next? Um, and then obviously knowing how to end it in a way that was powerful and would want to keep people tuning in. Did you know where you were going to end it when you started? Um, I, you know what? I kept ending it at different places. Uh, I don't want to, like, is it okay to give a spoiler or to say something? Give about a spoiler. The end? Okay, so... 
I knew that Brandon was eventually going to find his way to Kevin. Um, but there were moments, there was a point in, in one of the original drafts, I think, where it ended when Kevin opens the door. Like, I was going to end it there. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it did for a long time. And then I decided to keep it going a little bit. I was like, what if we, like, see them, like, talk? What if we'd like to have, like, a walk and talk with them? Um, and then what if we ended on him pointing him out? Because I was thinking that could be a great way to start the next episode of, like, him actually pointing him out. But then I thought, well, maybe it could be interesting if, like, you end on Brandon, like seeing the person that killed his brother and you leave on what he's going to do. Right. And that packed more of it. Cause I think the original script Justin read was the one where it just like, like the little boy opens the door and you go, Oh shit, what's this going to be? But then by the time I did like a little table read for myself, I, I added that before we got to the table read. And Justin was like, I love that you extended a little bit longer and that you actually took us even further into him saying the person and then leaving us with that, like of his decision versus the inevitable. So that was a, a thing that I was playing with. Like, how do I want to end it? What's the most powerful? And, and, um, and yeah, and then that pilot where the, the, where that I extended, that's the one that's lived all these these years in that Showtime. That Showtime read and liked and they maintained. They were like, we like this world and we're going to keep it as you've written it. And um, and that's I know that's a rare thing. That's amazing. TV. So I'm just really grateful that they, you know, really respected my voice and embraced it. And uh, and now people are going to see it. What about the arc of the whole season? Did you have that in mind also? I had some ideas. But I really and a lot of those ideas actually wound up in the first season, which is cool. But I I really wanted to open myself up for the writers' room because I knew I had to meet all these lovely writers who I did meet and hired and love, and they're like my family, and I name check them all the time, like Dime Davis, Marcus Gardley, Justin Hillian, Kathy Kasake. I love all of you. They really came in, all African American, you know, came in and had ideas about the characters and some things to do with the women and different ways to go with you know Emmett's hustle and things like that. Um, and I really just wanted to leave myself open because I never want to be a tyrant. Like where I'm in a room of like, no, it's going to go this way or this is how this thing. I would always tell them the ideas I had and go, hey, I like this or this is a big thing in Chicago or can we play with this? And they would always go, yeah, we like that too. But what about that? Or mm, I would expect that. Or um, what's a what's something really unique that you wouldn't expect? That was what they really kept doing. We were always like, when people expect us to zig, we try to zag. And, and I think it kind of created this really nice, like roller coaster of things because I think we just kind of want to keep the audience guessing um, but also just sort of keep it human and grounded at the same time we don't want to do anything too crazy because that's sometimes when you get into that territory it's like we're trying to surprise for me I want to always feel rooted in reality Um, so yeah I try not to be married to too many things because I really want to give my writers room and space and really ownership of the show I always try to call it our show even though I know people say oh what's created by Lita Waite it's like yeah I wrote the pilot I get it I created the show but it's the minute they walk into that writer's room, like it's our thing. Like I, I, I can't take, you know, yes, my name was on multiple episodes, but I don't want to overshadow those guys because they really made the show what it is. I know it's really important for you to do an honest portrayal of Chicago. Was that important for you when you were choosing your writers for the writer's room? Did they have to have roots in Chicago? Well, one of them did, um, who, and his name is Marcus Gardley. He lived in Chicago for eight years, and he's a playwright. He did plays in Chicago, and he still goes back to mentor young kids and teaches them how to put on plays and stuff like that, which I love. Um, but, you know, but for me, it was more about I wanted them to have a real, I wanted them to have a story. And, like, for, for example, Kathy Kasake moved to America when she was 12 from Uganda. She has a, 
a, a bunch of brothers and sisters. She has a very strong-willed mother. She has this beautiful natural hair. She's like a brown-skinned woman. Um, she's she you know has very unique experiences in dating. So to me, she to me represented like okay, you're gonna have some really interesting stories that we can incorporate just with some of these women. And and just her strength is just so real that I was like, I need a strong woman like you in the room. Dime Davis, who is also a director, so she thinks visually. She also just got a, a, a her short into Sundance. It's a documentary she did, which is beautiful. I, I've seen it. And so, and that really spoke to me, the fact that she's not just thinking about, okay, what's on the page, but how will this look? How how are ways we can like film this and visualize this, which is really important. And Dime is and it's an amazing artist and I loved having her every day. And Justin Hillian, who um, was writing on I'm Dying Up Here. And then so Showtime was like, you guys should see this guy. And I was like, okay, another a comedy, because he apparently had done stand-up. And I thought, huh, who is this dude? So I met him. And the cool thing about him is he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke. But the reason why is because he started doing both when he was 12. And so he was like, I'd lived a lot of my life really tough and hard for a lot of my youth. And he got to a place in his life where he's like, I got to straighten up and fly right or I'm going to wind up like all these other cats. And now he's married. His wife is pregnant and he lives the most like humdrum life you could ever imagine. He like literally wakes up and like goes for runs and things like that. And I always tease him because he's more square than me. And I'm a pretty <laughs> square person. Um, and so though, so really what they represented were, were, you know, different facets of like black life. And I just and they're just amazing artists. So that's what really spoke to me about them were their stories truly and and I think and that's what I wanted to hear more of when we were in the room and and I did and they, they would all tell so many personal stories and things like that and Marcus's story some of his stories really kind of got incorporated into some of the character stories and same thing with Justin and Dime and Kathy and um and mine obviously and and I think that's what I think makes the show feel so human because we're literally bearing our souls every week in the room and then we try to you know fictionalize it for the characters how has your own family reacted to the show well, they've only seen the first episode because even I don't have that kind of pool where I can get them. You've seen more than my family. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, but um, it's but, worth watching. I know, right? But they, um, you know, they. It's so funny because they obviously recognize a lot of the names. You mm-hmm. know, Coogie and my mom. Her name was in there twice, and so you know, they just they really like it. They just like, wow, this is really interesting, and it's so real and it's so raw. And for them to say, yeah, it feels like Chicago was really important. I know I care about what people say or what they think, but what they think means a lot to me. So the fact that they like it is important. As you mentioned before, there have been a lot of TV shows and movies set in Chicago mm-hmm. telling the story of Chicago. What have they gotten right that you wanted to correct with this? Or what have they gotten wrong, I should say? Um, I mean, I don't even know if it's about right or wrong. It's just more of a lack of layers, you know, I think for me. And, and maybe I know the layers because I'm from there and I, you know, still have family that are there. And I, I go there and I walk through certain neighborhoods that maybe they don't or, you know, and I'm still connected with a lot of my friends from Chicago, too. Um, there's just things about people of the city that that I know, you know, it's like I know how hard people work. You know, I know how important it is for folks to get to church on Sunday because the weeks that they've had. I know how much struggle it is to, you know, for some of them to raise black sons in Chicago. My sister just left Chicago because she was just like, I'm too nervous because I have a nephew. His name is Langston. His name from Langston Hughes and he's eight years old and she's just like, I've done it for this long and I'm just, I can't do it anymore. And so that's wow. my own and my own family having seen that. And so she's in Texas now. Um, but, you know, I, I just, I just, I know the stories because I hear them. They're, they're my family. They're my friends. And, uh, and I just, and I just, Think there's elements of Chicago that people don't always see. Like for example, there's this girl. Her name was Cernice, You know, who I went to junior high and high school with. 
who didn't come from a family that could afford to send her to school for like some expensive school for all four years. So I remember, you know, her working so hard and being so diligent about get, maintaining a certain GPA so she could get certain scholarships. And she ultimately went to Spelman and law school like completely for free because she got scholarships and things like that. So that's Chicago. Like I remember going to that ceremony and seeing her getting the scholarship fund. Like, and it's not just, I'm not trying to say like, oh, it's all a bunch of saints, but I just know the grit and the passion that we have to, to accomplish a goal or a dream. And that's, I wanted that element to be in the show as much as the other stuff that also exists there. And it's also an amazingly, I mean, obviously, because it's t- telling a story that's honest to you, mm. it's nice to see a cast of all color on the screen. Yeah, yeah. It's important, you know, and I think, and it's funny because people may say, oh, do you only want to tell stories about black people? It's like, these are the people I know best. You know, I, I I know the way we speak. I, and I'm also fascinated by my, my people. You know, I think we're a very complex group of folks who survived a lot and who've seen a lot. And we're, you know, we're living Martin Luther King's dream. We're out here by chasing ours, you know. And I think, to me, it's a really, it's a, it's a group of people that deserves to be written about and to be in many different ways and to have many different shows about us is important. But I just kind of want to be one of the voices, one of the many voices that's out there. Cause there are a lot, you got Ava, you got Justin, Issa, Donald, you know, and, um, and myself, you know, we're telling different versions of the black experience. And I think that the more versions you have out there, the more people will have an understanding of what it means to be black in America. It does really feel like we're having a moment where those stories are getting told on the TV screen right now. That were those stories, you know, but all those showrunners you mentioned are being mm-hmm. able to tell stories at every different level of the yeah. spectrum. Do you think TV is more welcoming into film, or we're just at a moment right now? Um, I think it's um, it is a bit of a moment, and I think too with some of these stories, they just lend themselves to being told over time. You know, I think Moonlight and Get Out are phenomenal. Uh, pieces of cinema, but I think those stories lend themselves to be uh, features, and and I think that you know there are more, there are way more Jordans out there. There's a lot more Barry Jenkins out there. There's a lot more D Reese's out there, but they just need an opportunity and they need support. And I think what I want to do is provide that support and find them and make sure they have the the tools that they need to get their movies made and hopefully the funding as well. So that's my mission is just to make sure that there's a that I can be seen as a resource to say, hey, I got this cool script. It's not commercial it's it's not the typical thing it's about black people it's about this story or it's about native american people or it's about latino people or it's about a a trans person i personally want to help these people get their stories over the hump and i don't even have to you know collect a check or be an ep on it i just want to be helpful and i want to be someone that people can look to to say hey can you help me get this thing made because i think it's important and i think the more stories we get out to the world the more leveled the playing field will be and it feels like the world is really responsive to them. People are tuning mm-hmm. into the shows. These shows are getting Absolutely. picked up and greenlit. You yeah. know, and it, it's an amazing time in television right now, frankly. I think so. I mean, I'm I'm starting to feel like, you know, I'm seeing a, 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 a large rainbow of black people on the screen. You know, I think Insecure offers something. I think um, Atlanta offers something else. I think Queen Sugar offers something. I think Dear White People, hopefully The Shy, you know, will offer something else or even Power or even Empire. Like, there's a many different uh, th- things that rather than just one show having to be everything to all of us, I think that's where we sometimes would get in trouble or we would go, oh, I don't, that show doesn't represent me as a black person. And it would always t- be tough for me to hear that because I go, but that's not the show's job. You know, it's like the hard 
bizarre part is that show was just the only thing that's on the air right now. And so that's what everybody's looking at as the black show. So I think, you know, and I think Empire did bear a lot of that weight. And some folks would be mad about it. Some folks would be like, well, I'm as happy it exists. And so, but the good news is like Empire, that, that, that was, it was sort of cracking the door open a little bit and showing how much and how starved <laughs> brown audiences were to see themselves. And then now there's since been a cavalcade of a lot of other shows that have come forward that are different from that, that are different voices, that are a little bit more subtle, that, you know, aren't told in that vein. And But I think all these shows are valid. And I think and they all have a, a, their own audiences and their own fans. And I think they all should have a space. And so I just want there to be more. I just think that we should, we still, it's still not, you know, equal yet. You We've know? not achieved parity. We, we mm-hmm. still, we still got a lot more ways to go. So, um, so I just want to make room. I just want to, you know, the more shows we have that do well, the more execs will start to say, okay, yeah, why not? Let's give that a go. Given your Emmy win for the Thanksgiving's episode, how mm-hmm. did that change the conversation for you? Did it open more doors for you? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it, it, it put me sort of in an exclusive club of people, well, even a really exclusive club since I was the first black person to win um, an Emmy for comedy writing. But I think what it did was it kind of gave the industry a sense of like, okay, we can trust her. We can trust her instincts. Um, uh, and I think that's really, that's, that's a huge responsibility that I don't take lightly. That means that like, you know, yeah, they can trust my instincts about my own work, but also trust me when I say, Hey, I think this pilot is really cool and you should consider making it and be in business with this writer over here. That to me is the most exciting thing. Cause like, yeah, of course, like I, it makes it easier for me to go into rooms and pitch projects that I'm working on. But the thing that's really exciting to me is that I can walk in with another writer and say, I think this show is worth doing. I'm an EP on it, and I think we should be in business together. That, to me, because I'm aware of what that, what me putting my name on something means now because of that moment mm-hmm. and what it means in the industry. So it's like, great. I just want to make sure I'm going out there with uh, other writers that I think are going to have a real stamp on the industry. Was there a good one piece of advice that you got along the way that was particularly helpful for you? Um, that you can write your way out of anything. <laughs> It was, you know, you know, it was, and it was funny because that advice was given to that writer who said it to me, and her name was Karen Gist, and I love her very much. She's currently showrunner on Star, um, but yeah, and I can't remember who she said told her that, but she said she was like, and she told me very a, a long time ago, she was like, you can write your way out of anything, and it's really true. Like even when you're in the midst of craziness and stuff is going on. Just sit down and do the thing that God bless you to do, which is the ability to write. Because not everybody has the gift that we have. And it's something that I am so grateful for every day because it's a way to get things out. And I can express myself in a way that most people can't. So I'm just very honored to be able to do it. So I try to do it as much as I can. Was there a moment in writing The Shy that you used that advice? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because, you know, it was definitely a long journey. And uh, and I think in the midst of it, I wrote the Thanksgiving episode. This is this is before we had officially been greenlit, but we were still we had a mini room. We were like trying to you know really show Showtime what the show could be. And in the process of that, I wrote the Thanksgiving episode, which ultimately I didn't know then, but would have like really changed my life. It's absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the show also feels particularly relevant right now, just given the headlines that we're yeah. dealing with. But I know this was in development for a while. Mm-hmm. How did you incorporate headlines or what we were talking about in the news into your into the writing of the show? Right. I tried to. I did go in and do the Trump thing, obviously, which was, you know, but I, but I tried to leave it alone for the most part because I don't want to do that thing of, 
you know, every time something's happening, you put it in because, and luckily I tried to keep it as like timeless as possible when I first wrote it because I wanted to stand the test of time. I didn't want it to be this thing that, huh, that was must've been written a while ago. Um, or even when people watch it 10 years from now, I don't mind the Trump thing is in there just because they'll go, oh, okay, it's a bit of a time capsule. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I really wanted to make it just about people's like everyday lives that you can relate to where it's not necessarily connected to a year or a time or things like that. It's just sort of just human. Uh, so I tried to steer away from, and we, the room did too, about like things that were very specific to the day. Cause we know how often things change and how quickly things move. And we didn't want the show to feel dated at all. I'm a, because I love old TV so much that it's really important that my stuff kind of feels like, you know, and I, I, I love a pop culture reference too. So it's tough, but you know, I try to keep it timeless. No, I get it, but I think it's also a way to sort of counteract what we're hearing in the headlines every mm-hmm. day and talk about it. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that has to have like sort of at least infiltrated your brain a little bit in oh, terms yeah. of what you want the message of the show to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think because, you know, we were when the room began, Trump had like literally just been elected. So for us, we tried, and it's funny because we didn't. I know some writers' room said they had to have a rule of, like, you can only talk about Trump for, like, five minutes. I mean, because you'll talk about it, like, all day with the news and stuff like that. And we were no different. I mean, we would come into the writers' room and there'd be some crazy news story every day as well. But for us, we didn't harp on it. I think maybe because it's a black room, so we're so used to that shit of, like, <laughs> you know, the world, oh, the world's racist? What? You know what I mean? Like, it, But we wanted to really just, like, hone in on these characters and really, like, make them as human and as not even... I don't love the. I don't like the words relatable or likable, but we want to make them just as human as possible. We want to like put our stuff. We, want to, we would always say, "Oh, your shit's coming out." Like we like we would put our stuff on the table and like use it and like say, "Okay, that should be a Brandon story." That feels like that's something that would happen to Ronnie. Like we were really kind of focusing on putting our stuff out on the table and using it for good. Was anything off limits? No, no. Um, there was. I think we were kind of talking about. There was, did we talk about doing something about a trans character maybe? But I felt like we didn't have a trans person in the room, so it wasn't responsible to do that story, and I don't want to get it wrong. Uh, That was the one time I was just like, I don't want to get that wrong. Um, And I can't remember what it was or surrounding, and I think it came and went, but I'm a big believer because I'm I'm such an othered person who, who believes that you need someone who experienced it to, to, to talk about it. I was just like, I want to, and I love my trans family. And I was just like, I, we don't have a trans person here. And I, I just, I don't want to mess that up. And then in terms of, in terms of your own stories and your own experiences, how deep were you willing to go to mind what you'd been through? And oh, I, I go the deepest. I don't, you know, like <laughs> I, you know, I don't have any, there's nothing. I have no qualms about putting stuff out there. I think that's sort of now becoming pretty, you know, apparent. Um, but I just I believe that that's what I, I've had these experiences for is to use them in my work to talk about them and to not exploit, you know, but to to, to maybe help someone else to maybe show because that's all I'm doing. I'm not trying to preach to someone that I know how things should be done or that I understand things any better than someone else. I just want to say, here's here's what happened. Here's the here's this truth. Here's the thing that's going on. Now you make your own opinion about it. 
We've heard a lot about you. Know, you were obviously the first woman to win, the black woman to win for an, an, a writing Emmy. We were just sitting through a panel where we just heard that Alan Cummings playing the first gay, gay male lead character in a broadcast drama. Like, oh, when nice. do you think we're going to get past this point? Or are these just barriers that still have to be broken? I think we still have some work to do. We still, because I think it, it needs to be, we need to have, it needs to be so much a part of our culture that it becomes the norm and it's not there yet. But I think we're getting close. I think in a few years, hopefully, we will have, you know, because we still don't have a queer person of color as a lead. Mm-hmm. That's problematic. I'm trying to fix that. Hopefully we will fix that this year. How but, are you going to fix it? Do you have something in the works? I do got something in the works. You know, trying to get 20s made, you know, trying, trying, trying. I think we're getting closer and closer and closer. But uh, but 20s is, you know, based on my 20s, um, living in Los Angeles, being a queer woman of color and having two straight black female friends and our little trio and what that looks like. And um, so we're trying. We're trying. And I think we, we finally gotten to a place and I think Thanksgiving was very helpful with that where people kind of saw oh wow people really took to that episode and they might also take to a series about a girl like that um, and I think uh, but but you got to show and prove I think that's mm-hmm. what it is you got to sure. keep showing that people want it and they need it I think if it weren't for Empire we wouldn't have this many black shows on TV people can love or hate it you know I know everybody has their opinions about it but I do think it opened the door whether you like it or not like and I think because if, if it weren't for Empire doing so well, I don't think Atlanta would be able to exist on FX. So I'm very grateful for those that are the first ones to the door and get bloodied up and uh, take the hit so that we don't have to. <clears throat> Were you surprised by how much people responded to the Thanksgiving's episode? It really struck a chord with everyone. I mean, I was a little bit. I think because it was so specific. It was so specific to my experience. I didn't think my coming out was that extraordinary, honestly. I mean, when I told Aziz and Alan about it, and maybe because it's mine, maybe because... It wasn't like some big dramatic craziness. It was like these sort of like small transgressions and these subtleties. And I think that's what really spoke to Aziz and Allen about it. They're like, that's interesting because I think they're like, what you described to us is not what we would have thought would have happened. Because I think there's this element of like, oh, you're black, you're a woman, your family must be religious, your mom must have threw a Bible at you. I was like, oh no, quite the opposite. <laughs> like, she was just wouldn't talk to her friends and was like trying to figure out what happened and she's drinking wine at the table. It was more of that. And I think that really I think kind of struck a chord with Aziz and Alan they like that like we haven't seen that before we should maybe show people your story and I remember seeing Melina's cut because they sent it to me when she was done I remember watching it and being really proud of it as I watched it in my living room but I really just kind of thought oh this will be the black episode this season this will be the the parents episode this season um but I had no idea that people would react to it the way they did and you know and a lot of like you know um straight people really liked it a lot of non-black people really liked it I mean I was really blown away how it touched as many people as it did because I never would have expected that. I think that's the power of that show. Do you think there'll be a third season? You know what? It depends. I have no idea. Like, I talk to Aziz a lot and I and that's the thing that we rarely talk about. We really talk about, like, is there going to be a third season? But I think he treats The Master of None like a stand-up comedy special, mm-hmm. meaning he has to have enough experiences and enough to talk about in order to fill... 10 episodes um obviously he, he talks to myself and kelvin and alan we all uh, and eric you know we all come to the table with things that are going on our ideas but aziz has to go okay i've got enough material and i think he kind of wants to you know i don't know i think he may want to get i don't know i don't i don't know what ne- what the next chapter for him looks like but i think once he's lived enough of it um and he feels like he can kind of turned into some TV episodes. He'll give us a call. But I also think Master of None might look a lot like Curb, you know what I mean? Where we'll go away for a bit and then come back and then go away again and come back. But the cool thing is we all love doing it so much that like whenever he calls, we're there. We're contractually obligated to go back, but we would go anyway (laughs) because we just love it so much and we enjoy hanging out. So we'll see. 
And what about the shy? Should it get picked up? Do you have plans for a second season? I, I have plans for second season. I hope Showtime does. <laughs> I've got some ideas. Um, you know, and again, I love those writers in that room and those actors so much that, again, we just love being around each other and we love telling these stories. And I think we, I think we, we learned a lot through what we went through with season one. So my hope is that season two will be even more powerful and even more rooted in the city and more specific. So hopefully Showtime gives us a green light. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Pleasure thank talking to you. So much. you as always. I always enjoy talking to you. Thanks for listening to today's show. We'll be back next week with another great episode. We'll be talking about The Blacklist with star James Spader. See you next time. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.